This evening, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. Psalm, chapter 85. Where we're talking about tonight is uh, kind of in preparation for revival, kind of the theme of revival. But we're going to talk uh, about the need for it. Why do we need a revival? Uh, I was actually talking with the teens this morning and uh, kind of asking them, well, what is exactly, when we talk about we're having a revival meeting, what does that mean exactly? And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of different thoughts about that. Uh, what, what do we mean when we say revival or having a revival meeting? And so uh, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the teens were kind of scratching their heads. How do you put it into words? You know, what is a revival meeting? And so uh, we're going to be kind of talking through that, a little bit of brief history of, of revival in America, uh, and then we'll talk about really a prayer for revival tonight. And so what exactly what is revival? A lot of times people, when they think of revival, they think of a meeting and, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I remember revival meetings throughout the years, even when I was young, I remember our church having a, a pack a pew Sunday, you know, where you would have to pack the pew and whoever got the most people in in a, in a row, you would get some prize or something like that. I, re, I remember doing that. Woody, I guess with your family, you probably would have won. You got, you got a couple rows with your family. But nonetheless, um, uh, you know, those were some things that we, and of course we remember, you know, different preachers coming in. The, you know, they preach for several days. There's usually special music, whatever, that was involved in that. And, and uh, usually, a lot of times, a lot of speakers had their own books or, or maybe eight tracks back then. <laughs> LPs or, you know, tapes, whatever it may be, CDs, whatever it is nowadays. So there's, there's a lot of different sources uh, that they make available as well. So that's kind of usually what we, we look at revival almost as an event uh, in that regard then. And so I want us to challenge our thinking, really, is that really what revival is? And kind of what I mentioned, and this was from uh, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, who kind of mentioned about revival that... Um, a lot of times we see revival as filling up the pews of the church, you know, and of course we would love to see that. Don't get me wrong. We would love to see that. But revival is, is much more than that because revival is not so much filling the pews as it is God filling our hearts uh, with his presence. That's really the, the focus of what revival should be. Like I said, I rejoice for every person who would come. I really do that. But the main work is this. What, put it this way. Let's say this place was packed with, you know, let's say 150 people. That's about all we could get in here, I think, with even out in the lobby, something like that. But if everyone left after that weekend of meetings and no one, everyone was about the same, thought the same way, acted the same way, did it really accomplish anything? No, we just had a big get-together. And so that's why I say revival is so much more than that. It's more than a meeting. It's really God working in our hearts. And I pray that tonight that we would see God work in our lives and especially as prepare for the revival meeting. So coming up... Um, like I said this week, and pray for that. Uh, we'll try to take a few moments at the end of the service to pray, uh, and we'll kind of have some guidelines of, of prayer uh, to do that. So we'll take moments to do that here this evening. But let's look at one verse. It's a, probably a verse you've heard often when it comes to revival. Psalm 85 and verse 6. And actually, I'll, I'll do verses 6 and 7 uh, to put it uh, a little bit more together. Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7 reads, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. So again, going back to verse 6, will that not revive us again? And kind of our song for the month has been that, revive us again. And that should be our prayer, that God would do a great work. But what does this mean of revival? What does this mean? We'll kind of talk through that. A lot of times when we think of revival, we think of the history of revival. We even think of the old 
uh, if you want to call old-fashioned services, the Sawdust Trail. Um, if you don't know what that is, we'll give you a, a quick recap here in a moment. But back in uh, 1734, there was a man, a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that name or, know, or not. He was probably the most famous sermon he ever preached was, what, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Okay, I remember, of course, I went to a Christian school, but that was part of our American literature course uh, because sermons were often printed uh, back in those times and, and widely published. And so it was a part of American literature. And I remember we had to do kind of like a report on it, analysis, and I kind of forget all that was entailed in it now. But nonetheless, it was a very important uh, sermon. And uh, anyways, that was just one of many sermons that he did. Um, maybe one night we'll talk about the life of Jonathan Edwards, really kind of a fascinating man. He, he actually, he's known kind of like as a revival type preacher of the Great Awakening, but he faced a lot of problems even in his own church um, and wherever he went. So anyways, it's it kind of an interesting character. But nonetheless, those who heard Jonathan Edwards' sermons said this. this. After they heard him, they said, It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. Now that's kind of, you know, 300 years ago talk, you know. But in a, in a sense, what this is talking about this, God used this man to, in a short period of time, to change the hearts and lives of those who profess Christ and transform them into a powerful practice of, of religion or, or life with God, okay? So, another person has kind of said this regarding that type of revival. People sense the presence of God powerfully. Conviction, despair, contrition, repentance, and prayer come easily. People thirst for God's word. Many authentic conversions occur and backsliders are renewed. That's probably what we think of when we think of revival, kind of those characteristics or those things that are, are happening. But I think a lot of times when we think of revival, we kind of think of kind of as an event. Uh, when we lived down in the, in the south in, in Tennessee for about 11 years, and Mandy even more so growing up there, uh, churches would often have uh, revivals. Uh, they, they would call it just revival meetings, things like that, but revivals. And so you would have it, uh, every church would, you know, you got about every church on a corner, sometimes two in a corner, and about every week different churches have a revival. They still do this. They still do this, and it's kind of a, a big thing. But again, it's kind of like an event, and people come, and churches come. Sometimes even a, a visiting church choir will come and sing for another church. There's a lot of different things that, that happen uh, during that, and so it's really uh, kind of amazing what the Lord has, has done. But I want to say this, too. It's also kind of part of the culture of the Southeast as well. It's just kind of expected. You put it on the calendar. Again, the danger is that it simply becomes another event that the church does. Okay, that's the danger of it. You can put a revival. One thing that was, always confused me, though, is when we were um, even on deputation or speaking you know, on missions in churches, doing deputation or furlough, that they would have a missions revival or a missionary revival. And so it's kind of like a missionary conference and a revival meeting. And so I re, this happened more than once in those churches. Uh, Mandy, I don't know if you remember this, but we would have us and a couple other missionaries that were you know, going to be having our booths up and things like that. But the main speaker was an evangelist. It's kind of how they did it. And so for us, it's like, it's one or the other type of thing. But some churches, they just combine it all into one, okay? 
I'll always honestly say, I think we train our pastors to be pastors, we train our missionaries to be missionaries, but we don't cross-train. There's a disconnect, okay? But nonetheless, this is part of the culture that's down there. Enough on the southeast, okay? There's a lot of good things that are going in there, and there's some things that I scratch my head about. It's just, and probably if they came up here, they'd do the same thing. <laughs> um, uh, let me, here, I'll get on the soapbox for a because this is kind of a fun subject. Uh, had a, someone came here a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were we were kind of talking briefly, and uh, he he talked he he learned that we were you know used to live down in Chattanooga, and he said he was commenting about the southern churches the, uh, that uh, oh they say amen and you know they, they they do a little shouting and and all that kind of stuff a little bit more and and all that and I I said that's true and you know but I'll be honest with you they would say amen you know they say amen a lot if you say uh, you know biscuits and gravy they're going to say amen though okay. They say amen to anything. So I said, here's the difference. When a Minnesotan says amen, they mean it. And I think that's kind of the difference. So I think it's a cultural thing. There's some things uh, that are a little bit different in each culture. Okay, enough with that. All right, we're talking about revival. So let's, let me briefly talk. This is nowhere near in depth, but some areas at least you'd be familiar with in the history of revival in America or the history of awakenings or renewals. Those are some words that have been used. Of course, in America, we're talking about back in uh, 1734 to 1743 was known as the Great Awakening, or now it's called the First Great Awakening, but the Great Awakening. During that time, uh, the key leaders were uh, George Whitfield and also Jonathan Edwards. Uh, actually, they were very different in their personalities uh, and even their preaching styles. Uh, George Whitfield was very, uh, he had a commanding voice. Um, people came from all over. He used to preach out in fields and people would come. He had a booming voice, things like that, kind of more uh, animated, so to speak. It was actually very different from uh, the uh, other churches, the Church of England, for example, uh, which were a lot more stoic in its way. So he was kind of outside the norm during that period. The other preacher I mentioned is Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. Jonathan Edwards, though, he was very different in his approach to preaching. Uh, he would actually read a text, and that's how he would preach, okay? For me, I, I need a little bit of text to read, but that's just not my style. But if I was here the whole time just simply reading a text to you of that, and he wasn't exactly, the people who heard him, he was not that animated either in his, in his preaching. And so how would you be able to sit for, you know, I preach generally for about 30 to 40 minutes, just depending on the type of service, uh, but he would preach well over an hour or more so like that. Uh, how would you handle that? But God used both of these men mightily uh, in that regard. So it's just the way that God gifted him in. And part of it was the culture of the times, too. But that was known as the Great Awakening, um, and kind of as a precursor to the founding of this country. I think that was really interesting to see how that came about. The, the next uh, kind of historical event with revival in America is known as the Second Great Awakening from eight, 1800 to 1840. And uh, some key leaders were uh, James McGreedy and Charles Finney. Uh, probably you know maybe Charles Finney's name a little bit better. Um, and so uh, Charles Finney was the one who actually popularized what we know today as the altar call. Uh, there was kind of a calling, if you will. Um, you know, people would come forward to, to cry out, to pray through, those type of things that were involved. And so Charles Finney was the one who kind of popularized what we do today as the as the altar call. So, in other words, what we you th think of like a Billy Graham crusade, people coming down the aisles and all that, that would have been foreign in a way to Jonathan Edwards and actually even like John Wesley. In fact, they actually pushed back on some of that stuff. 
during that time. Again, that was part of the culture and a little bit of their, their practice during that time too. So you have to kind of keep things in, in context in that regard. But anyways, uh, God did a great work though through those men. I will say that. People were definitely saved. Uh, lives were being changed. Uh, sin was, uh, was uh, forsaken. So many good things happened. Then in the 19, or 1850s, uh, I got to briefly mention this, that in the 1850s, for almost 10 years, there was what was known as the Ulster Revival in the British Isles. Uh, actually, I'm reading a little book right now on that. And so this was largely a Presbyterian work that was going on. But there was a great revival that was taking place back in uh, England and Wales, uh, more specifically, uh, called the Ulster Revival. Really kind of an amazing time. And really uh, hundreds of people were getting saved, getting right with the Lord. Um, there was some, some good movements that were going on during that time. Here in the United States, uh, in 1857 to 58, in about two-year period of time, it was known as the Businessmen's Revival. Uh, this was uh, kind of the key leader of that was a businessman himself named Jeremiah Lamphere. Uh, he was a businessman in New York City, and he had, I believe this is on September 23rd, it was the day they started this in 1857, he basically invited different businessmen to come to a certain building for prayer at noon, and so it was during the lunch hour, and so he would do that. The first meeting, there was only six people, six men that came for that prayer meeting, and then as it quickly grew, there happened to be up to 10,000 businessmen in New York City that would come back in the 1800s. Anyways, that work and that prayer work spread throughout the America, especially on the East Coast. And uh, this was just a few years before the Civil War. But it's, it, some um, church historians note that it was around one million people that got saved during those years of the businessmen's revival as a precursor to the Civil War. So when you think of what is the, between the Union and Confederacy, about 600,000 uh, men lost their lives during the U.S. Civil War. But think about this, how many of those were, by God's grace, were saved, maybe because of these revivals that had taken place before the Civil War happened. By the way, what's interesting in looking at that little piece of history, out of that million people that were saved, uh, they say that about a quarter of those, that, of that number, uh, or excuse me, uh, of the registered churchgoers, if you want to say registered church members, about a quarter of those who were church members got saved during that revival. Think about that. I, and I'll be honest with you. I believe that uh, in a lot of churches, there's more lost people that come to services who think they're saved simply because they've been faithful going to a church. The more than we realize. And I'm saying even in the Baptist world, I, I'm, I'm definitely 100% of that. Even Billy Graham, he, he thought that it was like a high number. I think it was like 85% of the people who came, uh, who even came forward, were really not saved. Uh, just kind of an interesting statistic and interesting observation. But nonetheless, that was the businessman's revival. Then I think when we think of other revivals, we think of the late 1800s, early 1900s. We think of people like D.L. Moody. Uh, th this was called uh, the urban revivals that took place, like, for example, in Chicago and many other noted, noted places, D.L. Moody. Uh, Billy Sunday was another one, and he was the one who probably popularized what was known as the Sawdust Trail. And so you think of the tent meetings and all that, and what they would do is they simply have a sawdust uh, trail that was, you know, kind of, I think, I think it actually went to the, the meatpacking days, if I remember, that they used to lay down uh, sod, you know, for, you know, the butchers and all that, and so it would soak that up. But nonetheless, that would be been used uh, 
in, in their, their meetings as well. It's kind of, uh, think about old-fashioned. So what really kind of is funny to me, when we think about like an old-fashioned Sunday, what do we really mean by that? We're just talking about 100 years ago. When I think old-fashioned, and this is because of our ministry in Israel and my interest in archaeology, when I think old-fashioned, I'm thinking that from the times of David and the like an early Iron Age period, uh, you know, what type of sandals they used during the Roman era. For me, that's old-fashioned Sunday. So anyways, that's just perspective, okay? Anyways, like I said, since those are what we would probably, in a romanticized way, think of of revivals, the Great Awakenings, D.L. Moody, and other men of God uh, that have been greatly used to proclaim God's truth. Lives have been changed. But does revival still play, take place today? Amen. Absolutely, it does. I think what we're also seeing, we're kind of thinking like this, and those were some great times where God did a great work. Things were really moving. And uh, we think of like the thousands. We almost think of Peter on the, on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 are saved and baptized. A couple chapters later, uh, what is another 5,000, 4,000 were saved and baptized. So we think of like the big numbers. But where does revival really start? It starts individually. It starts in our hearts. It's the Spirit of God moving. And by the way, it is contagious, as we see. Um, another thing, too, is that uh, when we think of revival... Uh, probably something that came up recently, even earlier this year, was the Asbury Revival in Kentucky. How many heard about that? Okay, so several of you did. So in Asbury, um, it's a university there. It's a um, Wesleyan or Methodist school. It's actually a little bit more on the conservative side. Anyways, there was this uh, big revival. People came from actually all over, and I think it was for several weeks uh, that there was kind of this outpouring, forgiveness of sins, things like that. Uh, there were some questions on, is this really revival or not? And to be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, and I'll explain kind of why I say that in a moment. But there was a big draw. I got national, it was on the national news, uh, what had happened back in February when this took place. Um, and so was the Asbury revival, was this, this had, by the way, Every so many years, there is a kind of a revival that takes at Asbury College as well. So it didn't, this is not like a one-time thing. So there's been a, a series of things in the past. But I'm not going to talk much about that. Let's talk about tonight about revival. What is revival? Let me say this as well, that there's a key, very important key to revival, and that is earnest prayer. When you look at any of the other revivals, like the Great Awakening, the Businessmen's Revival, the works of D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, and others— that revival was always preceded by earnest prayer. The great works of God historically have always been preceded with earnest prayer. Let me just say this, as we approach this revival meeting here as well, let us not be complacent in our Christian life thinking we're okay. Let's just come in for another service. We want to hear a good preacher, things like that. Folks, let's be in earnest prayer that God would work deeply in our hearts, in my heart, that if there is, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting, as the psalmist said. May we be open to what God truly has in store for us. Very, very important. So that leads us to the question, this, then what is revival? What are we talking about when we see revival? First, revival, I believe, is the outpouring of God's Spirit working to conform and transform the believer in the image of his dear Son. Revival is the outpouring of God's Spirit working to conform and transform the believer in the image of His Son. So that's kind of the big overall picture of that. It's a special working of God. Maybe it's a time where it can be very intense as well. That God would just work and maybe convict us. Uh, We have contrition, repentance, 
Uh, we pray, we cry out to God, we thirst for God's word, we can't get enough of it, uh, that God would just work in our hearts. He maybe, uh, uh, maybe people do get saved out of this, but also backslider, those who have stepped away from the Lord, they are renewed, they're, they're, they're brought back into fellowship with him in an amazing way. Um, and so this is very important. Let me give another couple of trademarks of, of revival. That true revival is a response to sin. True revival is a response to sin. Let me explain it this way, that when you look at these revivals that I had mentioned historically that took place, they really came after a, a period of, of waywardness by the church uh, as well as just by society in general. The Great Awakening right before that uh, the historians said that before Jonathan Edwards and before this work really happened, the Great Awakening, the early 1700s, that the, the way in the colonies was just very wayward. Uh, there was so much drinking. Uh, there was a lot of uh, lawlessness. People were just, I mean, extortion. There was just so much bad things that were happening as well. Same thing happened during the businessmen's revival as well. There was just a lot that was going on. As I'm reading through the history of the Ulster Revival that took place in the British Isles back in the 1850s, almost the same exact thing happened where that society was just so uh, lost, wayward, rebellious against God. There was no concern about God. Uh, there was just a coldness uh, to, to God and to his word. And so there was a great conviction. There were people that God had raised up to, first of all, confess their own sins and then pray with one another that God would do a great work. And through the preaching of the gospel and through the obedience of others, that God began to work in the hearts and lives in an unexplained way. Uh, just an amazing thing that took place there. So true revival is really a response to sin. Because why? When we think of revival, folks, we think of God. Yes, God's going to come. He's going to do a great work and do a great change. But I'll be honest with you. If most Christians are honest with themselves, and I've been guilty of this as well, that usually when we think of revival, we say, God, yeah, we need to change, but change this person. Change Dave, you know. <laughs> yeah. But no, we, we think of this. Change that person, that person, but leave me alone. I'm okay, God. I really don't need it. That's kind of what we're here. That's if we're honest, that's really our attitudes when it comes to revival. True revival, folks, it begins with a response to sin. My own sin, knowing that, yes, I am, I am a sinner in deep need of God's grace. And I need to be right with him. This is important. So true revival is a response to sin. Another key aspect of revival, it must be based on sound doctrine. It must be based on sound doctrine. There's a lot of things that happen in revival that when you actually compare it to Scripture, it doesn't match up. I was talking with, uh, with Brother Willis, and I said one of the concerns that, I don't concern that Pastor Moppin had even, that sometimes revival meetings get a little bit sensationalized. There's a lot of, there's, a, there's an emotional element to that. And I've seen some revivals that, or revivals that, I mean, things were just kind of, to be honest with you, a little bit out of control. Um, and and, and in, in that, they were really not based on sound doctrine, biblical teaching. And so... Uh, and different things came out, out of it. You know, if you ever heard of laughing revivals and things like that that have taken place up in Canada, for example, uh, not Ron's place, but other places, there were some laughing revivals that took place, and some are still going. Some revivals, people were barking like dogs that had taken place. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I'll be honest with you, these people are dead serious, and they call it revival. 
So like I said, true revival needs to be based on sound doctrine, on what God's word says. So compare scripture with scripture. Very, very important. Okay? And so true revival also, talking about emotion, true revival is not just emotional, but it's based on obedience to God's word. Again, there is an emotional element to that. When people are confessing their sins, uh, there should be a, 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 maybe a personal grief, maybe even tears shed. Uh, people you hug, you pray with. There's, there is an emotional element to that. But again, that is, not, that is not just revival. You know, if people are crying, I'll be honest with you. I've seen through the years. People are crying and they're sorry for this and that and the other. They leave and the next morning they're going back to their old ways. Did God really work in their lives? What is a true test of revival is when people basically understand their condition, they cry out to God, and then they turn their lives in obedience to God's word. That is the hallmark of revival, when people, their lives are transformed and they're obedient to God's word. So when we talk about the Asbury revival that took place earlier this year, for example, again, was it a true revival? I don't know. But what trademark we should look at, the lives that people say they were saved or got their lives right, are they now walking in obedience with the Lord? That is a hallmark of revival, folks. So that leads us to, that's what is revival. The next question is this, who is revival for? When we think about that, who is it for, actually? And I think one thing we need to consider is this, that a lot of times we think of the revival as, oh, souls need to get saved. And I would definitely, I would agree with that statement. Souls do need to be saved. But revival implies what? That something was alive and kicking and just needs to be jump-started in a sense. So it's, number one, it's for the church. It's for believers, okay? Now, an offshoot of that can flow into people getting saved, and I rejoice 100% when that happens. I, I mean, I love to hear those stories, people who got saved at different revival meetings. I mean, it was an evangelist that, I mean, you almost killed him, Brother Skip, but, <laughs> but he was a large part in you coming to the Lord, and I rejoice in that. But ultimately, when we come, we're, we're here to see, yes, the uh, sinner saved, but also the saint, saints sanctified. Very important as we see this. So it's meant for that. So let's kind of go through this passage here just for a few moments now. Let's look at this kind of breakdown uh, in verse 6 of chapter 85 of Psalms. Wilt thou now revive us again? The good question. This here is a prayer. So this is now a prayer for revival. This is a simple and wonderful prayer for revival. It recognizes that revival is not man-made, but it's God-given. Very important. Yet it also recognizes that one may and should pray with revival and pray with godly expectations. Okay? So very, very important. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, an old preacher, commentator, said this about this prayer for revival. Implies that the people who were alive once have died in a spiritual sense and now need to be given spiritual life again. This is what the church almost always needs, and it's how revival comes. And again, it's understanding our spiritual condition, that, man, we have forgotten God. We, we even do church. But I'd be honest with you, there's a lot of people who do church, but they don't include God in it. Folks, this is the time where the church needs to wake up, okay? Very important. So here's the question. When should we pray for revival? When should you pray for it? I believe this. And this, by the way, some of these are notes by Dave Gutzik. He's a... Uh, preacher, commentator, Bible teacher. And uh, some of this I'm studying, but man, this is just good as is. So listen, listen to this. When to pray for revival. We should pray for revival when we remember the great things God has done for us in the past. Remember the works of God. That's one reason on Sunday nights we have works of God testimonies. What has God done for you in the past? 
Revival, that's a key part of revival. Lord, what have you done? We just actually, a few moments ago, we went through the brief history of a revival in America. Look at what God has done. God has blessed America by basically his presence being shown. Lives have changed in this country. We should not take that for granted. That's a rich part of our history, okay? Another thing is this. We should pray for revival when we sense that we are under a cloud of divine displeasure or an evident lack of blessing. As God, we, we sang actually last week, God bless America. And I believe God has blessed America, but is he doing now? Does God ever withhold his blessings from this country or any country for that matter? I believe there are times and God does do that, okay? Uh, so, but there's something. We should be sensitive when that happens. I think is this. The danger is this. When God has taken his hand of blessing off and we don't notice it. I, I think that's something very telling, okay? We've got to be careful of that. When we to pray for revival, what, what sh- who should we pray for? And I like what uh, uh, Gutzig says here. We should, pray, first of all, pray for the pastor. This is his words, not mine. Pray for the pastor. Pray for your pastor, okay? I don't say that too often, but I do really, I am encouraged when some of you come and say, hey, pastor, I've been praying for you. I really do appreciate that. I want you to know that sincerely. How should you pray? Uh, ask God to personally revive him. I need revival, folks. Ask God to strengthen me against temptation and discouragement. Ask God to fill me with faith. Ask God to bless the pastor's work with great spiritual power. I'll be honest with you, uh, pastoral work, there's a lot, most of pastoral work is unseen. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that takes place, a lot of phone calls, meetings with people. A lot of times I come here, I'm by myself, and I just come and pray. Uh, I'll give you a little, little tidbit of what I do on my routine on Sunday mornings before everyone gets here. I usually come up here in the auditorium and somewhere up front or even up here on these benches, and I just stop and I have a moment of prayer, praying for myself, praying for the people, praying that God would do a great work. Usually downstairs I'm making coffee, so if you don't like the coffee, blame me. But usually when I'm making coffee, I'm having prayer time. I'm praying for all the Sunday school teachers and all the Sunday school classes, uh, in, including Woody's, okay? That God would do a great work and work in our lives, that we'd be, we would grow up in him, okay? Another thing to pray for, pray for your preacher, but also pray for the congregation. Pray for the church, okay? Pray for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the congregation. Uh, God can do a great work uh, in that. I remember... Little, I don't know if you've ever really experienced a revival where God just, I mean, seemed to do a great work through everyone who was present. Uh, I remember years ago, I was doing my internship in Israel, and I preached at Messiah Baptist Tabernacle, where I, we later served full-time. But uh, I was given the opportunity to preach. I could not really tell you much of what I preached on that, that day. But I remember at the invitation that was given that day, um, and it was a, believe it or not, a 45-minute invitation. And I was like, was my preaching that good? <laughs> I was, a, I was in, in college, folks. <laughs> I, I'm not going to pat myself on the back at all for that. But it's a 45-minute invitation because what was going on for actually several months, there were people in the congregation that were mad at each other. They were bitter. Some, even family members in the church, hadn't talked to each other uh, for quite a while. There was some bitterness and anger and resentment that was going on. And God maybe used my preaching or maybe in a series of events came to that moment and people came forward to the altar one after another, confessing their sins, asking forgiveness of one another, giving each other hugs and giving thanksgiving to God. And that went over a period of 45 minutes. People were just simply getting right with God and getting right with each other. And I would challenge you as this, as we come to revival meetings, is is there anything between you and the Lord? that's preventing his blessing upon you right now? Are you holding some bitterness to someone else, a resentment? 
uh, and ill feeling towards one another. And I have to ask myself that own question. If we really want God to work with us, the Bible says, leave your gift at the altar and go make amends with your brother. And then you come back to worship. Folks, we desperately need to do that. By the way, one other blessing. There was a Russian lady named Olga that came and she got saved that night as well. And a 45-minute invitation, okay? That's not usual. We're not, we're not used to that. But in that night, in that instance, God did something great. And I just happened to be there for it. I praise God for that. In praying for revival, this is what we should do as well. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the congregation. Pray for other churches in our, in our community. Uh, we've actually invited about 20 different churches in the area to come to this. And I pray maybe they would be, they're more than welcome to join us and others as well. But not just that. I pray regularly for other pastor friends of mine and others that are serving here in this area, that God would work in their lives and their churches as well, that the gospel would be proclaimed in and through them as he's doing that with us. Pray also for, in revival, pray for our community in general. Pray that God would touch the lives of the people that live near us and around us, in your neighborhood as well, and that God would send his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and uh, to do that. And, the, uh, and this closes here in verse well, six. We'll just kind of do that. Why do we do this? The idea of reviving God's work in us, that thy people may rejoice in thee. We should rejoice in our God. He is the one who brings life. Praying for revival means praying that God's work among his people would cause them to find joy in nothing else than in him. That's really what revival is, is by finding your joy again in Christ. That's really what revival is. So this is what we should pray. Pray full of confidence, knowing that God can revive. Pray full of boldness. Pleading for God with God for revival, and pray uh, with humility, desiring God's glory and praise, and not our own. I don't want a revival meeting at the end that says, "Man, look at Victory Baptist Church. Look at we we had a packed house that day." No, I want to say, "Look how great our God is. Let us fall and worship at His feet. May He do that work within us as well." So these are just some thoughts about that. There's probably a few more else, things else we can share. But I pray that God will work in each of our hearts. And again, it's like if we come in on Friday and leave again Sunday evening through the meetings and we're not changed, I don't know. Let's, let's, check, our, let's check our ticker. <laughs> check our hearts. What's really going on? Let's pray that God would open our eyes to that.